This is it, y'all. The final episode in the 2021 calendar year of the Igloo coming at you right now with me, Timmy Ice. Unfortunately, due to COVID, a lot of games got wiped out. In conference action on Wednesday, only three took three total games took place. Two on the men's side and one on the women's side. And, unbeknownst to me until I looked on social media because I follow a couple of the St. John's women's players because of, you know, my interactions with them at Big East Media Day back in October. Apparently, they had a game too. I'll talk about that because of, well, they had a game to make up for the recent postponement of their game on New Year's Eve, which I'll touch on in just a moment. But let's talk about the games that we knew for a fact were going to happen. Um, so, starting over on the men's side, DePaul at Butler. I mean, I thought DePaul was primed and ready to win a game like this at Hinkle. But Butler, with Hinkle magic and all that, and I feel really dumb for doubting it. Or for picking against it. Butler came out and laid some haymakers early. And led by 11 at the break, 37-26, closing the half on a 7-0 run. And for most of the second half, Butler was pretty much in firm control, leading by double digits for the majority of the first part of the second half. But DePaul never gave up, and you got to credit DePaul for, not, for doing that, without David Jones, who is top five in the conference in both scoring and rebounding. And while Javon Freeman-Liberty, the conference's leading scorer, struggled. And Butler, they nearly blew this game. With 5.55 to go, Butler was up 60-50. to DePaul responded with an 8-0 run after a Javon Freeman Liberty 3 to get it down to 2 with 48 seconds to go. And they got down to 1 at 60-59 with 4 seconds left. Butler got timely free throws, but DePaul lost this game in probably the most DePaul way that you can think of. They had an inbounds play, and by the way, There were like three lengthy reviews that took way longer than they should have. Shout out to James Breeding again, the worst fucking official in the league. Well, maybe not the worst. Okay, okay, he is the worst probably, but just the overdramatics and just milking it, just milking the shit out of it. It was unnecessary. And people want, and he might have the gall to wonder why he's not liked by coaches, by fans, by players. Because of stuff like this. I hate to break it to you. And I'm pretty sure hatred for James Breeding is pretty much now universal around the Big East. And I would be shocked if there was a fan who actually liked Breeding's work. Because his credibility should have tanked right with him 
after that Big East semifinal game in 2019 between Marquette and Seton Hall. That credibility should have died right then and there. But DePaul getting on the inbound following a review, it was a good pass, but I believe the guy, it was Philmon Gebrowit who was trying to be on the receiving end of it, and he tried to move before he caught the ball. And guess what happens when you do that? You don't catch the ball. It went out of bounds off his hands. Butler basketball, and that was pretty much that. Butler wins 63-59. Seamus Lukosius off the bench. The freshman led the way with 15 points on 5 of 9 shooting, 2 for 4 from 3. Also off the bench, Chuck Harris with 13 points, although he did struggle a little bit. 3 for 10 from 3 and 5 for 15 from the floor, finished with 13 points in 30 minutes. Leading starter to score was Jaden Taylor, the freshman, 13 points on 4 of 7 shooting. And then Bryce Enzi in his first game back played 28 minutes, 7 points, 5 boards. You know, he definitely gave Butler a boost with his return. Aaron Thompson, getting the start, one per, uh, made his only three-point attempt, and that was part of a big run that I believe gave Butler their biggest lead of the game at 12. Just going to double-check and confirm that. Maybe it wasn't. But I just know Aaron Thompson hit a big three-pointer, and that definitely drove that Butler crowd into a frenzy. Trying to find out when that was. It was. And I don't know why I'm having such a tough time finding it. Dude, what the heck? I'm trying so hard to find this. And for some reason, I'm not. Can't remember if it was early in the game, late in the game. Man, it beats me. I'm going to find this one way or another. Aha, here we are. It was about 9.21 to go, and it made it an 11-point game. Didn't give them the biggest lead of the game, but it was a, it made it an 11-point game. I remember watching that. But as, as for the rest of Thompson's stat line, 3 for 7 from the floor, 7 assists, 32 minutes played. Jair Bolden only played 10 minutes. I believe he might have been limited due to maybe he got hurt. Two points, one of three shooting in 10 minutes. And Bryce Golden fouled out of the game. And, you know, he got into it with um, Yorane. And I believe he was given a technical or something like that. But I, whatever that last foul was when him and Anae got tangled up, that was his fifth foul. Six points, five rebounds, three for five from the floor, just 18 minutes played. And really, outside of Lukosius and Harris, the only other player that played double-digit minutes in this game off the bench for Butler was Christian David. 13 minutes. DJ Hughes with six minutes. Ty Gross with just eight minutes. Miles Wilmoth barely saw the court at all, but he did appear late. As for DePaul, again, no David Jones. He would have made a big difference if he played in this game. But Brandon Johnson led the way, 16 points, 12 rebounds in 39 minutes for the Minnesota transfer.
Four for seven from the floor, two for four from three. And made a lot of big plays in the second half that willed the Blue Demons back into the game. Javon Freeman Liberty was one for eight from three. He started 0 for seven before he made that three that got it down to two in the final minute. And he was four for 16 from the floor. Seven boards, five assists, finished with just 13 points, seven below his average coming into the game. Nick Ongenda was solid, four for seven from the floor, 10 points, three rebounds. Jalen Terry getting the start, only two points on the day, four assists, one for six from the floor, 0 for two from three. Phil Mongebrowit, two for five from distance, two for six from the floor, just six points in 25 minutes. And then off the bench, Seeing his first action of the season, Javon Johnson, the transfer from Iowa State. Six points in his debut, 19 minutes played, two rebounds. It was two for three, all from distance. Yorane, six points on two of three shooting, and was a perfect two for two from the free throw line. And then in 11 minutes, Crevisier McCauley only got one shot off, which was a miss from three. So Butler... 1-0 1-0 to start conference play, and they hand DePaul their first loss of conference play in DePaul's opener after having not their first two games, which are both supposed to be at home, postponed. Now, in the first ever ranked matchup between Seton Hall and Providence, the Pirates were missing a lot, and I'm not going to try to make excuses here, but the two players, the two big players they were missing were both post players. One of which being the monstrous seven foot two Ike Obiagu. The other being six foot ten Tyree Samuel, who was one of their leading scorers off the bench. So really they had a seven man rotation. And seldom used Joe Smith only got to play two minutes. And that was in the first half. Providence, on the other hand, yeah, they played eight. But it wasn't like they were missing these especially, literally and figuratively, big pieces. And I'm not trying to say, you know, this was a fluke win for Providence. Providence won the game. 70-65 was the final. But you you can't help but think, hmm, maybe things could have gone a little bit differently if Obiagu and Samuel play in this game. So getting the start over Obiagu was Trey Jackson, the Missouri transfer who really didn't see the court a lot a year ago, but has been seeing the court a lot this year. And the funny thing is, you know, he went, he was silent against Texas and Rutgers their last two games, which dropped his average below 10 points. But in this game, he was solid. But again, Providence wins 70-65. to Leading the way for Providence, Noah Horkler, a double-double, and he was on fire in the first half. He did most of his damage in that half. 17 points, 13 rebounds, 6 for 11 from the floor, but he was 5 for 6 from 3. The rest of the Friars were just 1 for 11 from distance. The only other Friar to make 3, A.J. Reeves. Who is 5 for 11 from the floor, but just 1 for 6 from 3. 11 points, 6 boards, 3 assists. 
Nate Watson, who you would expect to feast in this kind of game without Obiagu and without Samuel for the Hall, he finished with 14.7 rebounds, but was just 5 of 14 from the floor. So, not the greatest of nights, but still, you know, Watson got a good amount of points and rebounded pretty well. And credit Seton Hall, you know, despite not having 7 foot 2 and 6 foot 10 on the floor, you know, they didn't let Providence completely manhandle them on the boards. Providence had the rebounding edge just 43-38. Meanwhile, Al Durham, 12 points, 4 rebounds, and was really big at the free throw line in crunch time as he finished 8 for 10 from the free throw line in this game. And and that made up for the fact that he was just 2 for 6 from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3. But who is the X factor in this game? Despite you know Justin Manaya was scoreless in 28 minutes, grabbing five rebounds and going over three from the floor, over two from three. But the X factor, Jared Bynum. This guy loves killing Seton Hall. 29 minutes played, 14 points, four assists, and three rebounds. Six for 11 from the floor. And Ed Croswell. 12 minutes played, just two points and three rebounds on one of six shooting. And Alan Breed barely saw the court, only playing four minutes. And you know, the funny thing is, you know, Providence was up by as many as 13. I mean, my opinion, Providence should have stomped on their, you know, stepped on their throats towards the end. But yet they didn't. But you got to credit Seton Hall for not, you know, giving up and playing a hard-fought game, never giving up. And Kevin Willard credited his, credited his team after the game and said he was really proud of them despite the loss. I would be too. I know moral victories aren't what you should be preaching per se, but considering the circumstances, it's fair to give an exception to this one and in any situation that might be similar to this one. Leading the way for Seton Hall, Alexis Yetna, a double-double for him. 13 points, 11 rebounds, 6 for 13 from the field. Jared Roden, 10 points and 10 rebounds, although he did battle foul trouble. 4 for 12 from the floor, not a great shooting night. And he didn't take a single 3 either. Trey Jackson, though, after going scoreless against Texas and Rutgers in their last two games before this lengthy pause, he finished with 10 points, 2 for 4 from 3, 4 for 8 from the floor in 24 minutes. Kadari Richmond, 8 points, 3 assists, and a couple rebounds on 3 of 7 shooting in 25 minutes. Miles Kale also with 8 points. 0 for 2 from 3, 4 for 7 from from the field. So again, 8 points, 5 rebounds. As for the bench, Bryce Aiken chipped in 11 off the bench, but was just 3 for 11 from the floor, 1 for 3 from 3. Also dished out 4 assists. And then Jameer Harris... Another rough shooting night for him. One for six from three, two for seven from the field. And, you know, ever since that 23-point out, I mean, like Trey Jackson, really struggled against Texas and Rutgers going scoreless in 19 combined minutes. But, yeah, no, I mean, his shooting numbers have definitely gone down since that stretch. So for Seton Hall in their Big East opener, opener, a rough way to go, but and especially it was rough because of the fact of, of who they were missing. But Providence gets the win. And that's really all that matters. But is the committee going to look at this and try to consider in all the factors? You bet. I'm not going to say Providence got a cheap win either. 
A win's a win in this conference, no matter how you get it. So Providence, they're now 2-0 in conference with an overall record of 12-1. Shifting gears to the women's side, shall we? Xavier hosting Butler. I expected Xavier to win. I also expected Butler to really, you know, compete in this game. But credit to Xavier. You know, once... You know, it looked neck and neck early on, but once Xavier took the lead after, you know, Butler was up 21-20 about halfway through the second quarter, but Xavier, after Michaela Scarlett knocked down a three, it was pretty much smooth sailing from there. Xavier cruising to a 77-55 win. Leading the way for the Musketeers, Kay Satterfield, 18 points, 2 for 7 from 3, 6 for 22 from the field. I mean, that shooting line's not great, but I mean, she did contribute in a lot of other ways. Four for four from the free throw line, nine rebounds as well. They got 16 from Michaela Scarlett, who got the start uh, because of some players missing due to COVID. Six, okay, 16 points, five boards, three assists, four for seven from three, and six for 12 from the field. Ayanna Townsend, 12 points, six for 11 from the field, and three rebounds. And Xavier took 16 threes in this game, which is way above how many they were taking on average per game. Michaela Hayes with eight points and seven rebounds on four of six shooting as she got the start in this game, obviously because of some changes due to COVID. Shyla Beeler had six points and 11 assists, but was just two for eight shooting. And then off the bench, how about the contributions from Megan Harkey, and Courtney Pranger, Harkey with 11 and 10 off the bench, a double-double in 23 minutes on 5 of 7 shooting. Pranger with 6 points, 5 boards, 3 assists in 25 minutes. Meanwhile for Butler, they were led by a couple big players off the bench. Amelia Sexton with 15 on 5 of 11 shooting, all of her attempts coming from 3, and the same in terms of all of her attempts coming from behind the arc from Tenley Dowell, 4 for 7. In 26 minutes, finishing with a dozen points. No starter in double figures for the Bulldogs. Most scored by a scorer was by Selena Tabor with nine points, five rebounds, and a couple assists, but was just two for three from the field. Just six points for Kendall Wingler on two of eight from three, two for nine from the field, and just two points each from Zoe Jackson and Trinity White. And then Alex Richard was scoreless, going 0 for 4 from the field in 19 minutes. Sydney Jane, 7 points off the bench as well, and then getting 2 points as well. Kate Tanner. So Xavier, that now is their first conference win. They're 1 and 2, Butler down to 0 and 3, 1 and 11 overall. The Musketeers back to 500 now with that win. At 6-6. Six and six. And then in a surprise pop-up game, so St. John's' game at Georgetown New Year's Eve was postponed due to COVID. So St. John's, just so they can stay in rhythm and get a game under their belt so they don't have to rest as long, they scheduled the game at home at Carneseca Arena against Brown. St. John's was up one after one. 
Brown surged ahead 32-24 at the break. St. John's made a heck of a comeback, but in the end, Brown holds on to win the game. A, a rough loss for St. John's in this, I guess, a makeup game, but it's like just a game to schedule to make sure they stay in rhythm. But, you know, it comes back to bite them. Brown winning 75 72, leading the way for the Bears. 22 off the bench for Kyla Jones on 8 for 13 shooting in 31 minutes. Five boards and four assists, too. The only starter in double figures, Isabella Mauricio. 18 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 3 for 6 from 3. And then they got some pretty balanced scoring outside of that. Eight points each from Maya Murray and Maddie Mullen. Seven from Ashley Ducharme. Uh, six off the bench from Danny Short. And then three points each from Amanda Lockany and Emma Lashewski. As for St. John's, they got some big performances individually out of Kadeja Bailey and Danielle Cosgrove. Bailey finished with 28 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 11 for 21 from the field, 3 for 9 from 3. You know, they were missing some important players. No Danielle Patterson. No Leilani Correa. So, I mean, those are two huge absences. But Cosgrove, by the way, 20 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double on 7 of 19 shooting and 3 for 8 from 3. And also unique Drake, who usually comes off the bench, but obviously without... The aforementioned Leilani Correa, she got the start. Again, 10 points, 4 assists, 4 for 9 from the floor, 2 for 4 from 3. Camry Clegg, 6 points on 2 of 7 shooting and 2 for 6 from 3 in 19 minutes. Getting some major minutes off the bench. I mean, she barely saw the court until this game. Sarah Zabrecki played 23 minutes, only scoring 2 points, and was 1 of 5 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3. And the other two players that came off the bench for St. John's, including Sophia Nolan, wait, which were Sophia Nolan and Edan Schlush, the freshman from Israel, each scored two as well. And then Emma Nolan, who got the start in 32 minutes, two points, five rebounds, one for three from the field. So tough loss for St. John's. Definitely not how you want to be rolling into the new year. So let's make some picks, shall we? So. Might as well stick to the women's side for now because, you know, today is New Year's Eve and there are a couple Big East games being played this afternoon, both at 2 o'clock Eastern. Three games, however, were postponed. St. John's at Georgetown, Providence at Xavier, and number 11, UConn at DePaul. 
I mean, if I were to make these picks, you know what? I would have taken St. John's winning at Georgetown. I would have taken Xavier beating Providence at home. And then, as tempting as it is to pick DePaul to beat UConn, I would have to take UConn, although I know DePaul would compete very well. But in the end, I think UConn, I mean... With the players they are bringing back, you know, I know Russ Steinberg talked about it with Nika Mule and AZ Fudd uh, coming back from a couple injuries. And, you know, I was going to take UConn winning at DePaul. But in terms of the games that will be played, Seton Hall at Villanova. At the Finn, both teams starting to play really good basketball again. Seen Hall, their last two games, they won a couple big ones at home. Beating Marquette. And then a pretty good Wagner squad. The Marquette win obviously being the more impressive of the two. It's going to be a very tightly contested game. I'm really looking forward to the individual matchup, granted, between players at two different positions, Lauren Park Lane versus Maddie Segrist. LPL has been very good, although against Wagner, she struggled. And I don't think there's any way she's going to let that happen again, especially not not just in a league game, but in a league game where a big individual performance could be the difference between a win and a loss. Maddie Seagras can make the same argument, although she has been putting up very good, consistent numbers over the, over the last three games since her return three weeks ago when she helped lead her teams to wins at James Madison and then at home against a ranked Oregon State squad at the time and then at LaSalle. Overall, I think Seton Hall, they have more weapons that will help them win this game. I know Villanova's got the great duo of Segrist and Hurley. I know Lior Garzon has been great at times. But ever since Maddie Segrist's return, Garzon has been relatively quiet. I mean, there were some games where You know, during the stretch in which Segrist did not play, 26, 21, 22, and then towards the end kind of tailed off, 11, 5, and 11. She was averaging 16 points a game during the time in which Maddie Segrist was out. Since then... I mean, it's not like it's been way down in terms of how many she's averaged, but it's definitely down, you know, like, so she's been averaging 11.7 per game since Segrist's return. Overall, I think Seton Hall, especially since they got Maya Jackson back, I think they're in the better position. I think they go into Fenner and Pavilion and win a big one on New Year's Eve. 
And then Creighton at Butler, I don't really need to go into much detail. Creighton, you know, they're rolling at 8. I mean, 8-3 is not really rolling, but considering what just happened in their last game a week and a half ago where they went on the road and really crushed Arkansas, a pretty good Arkansas squad at that. This team's looking like a top three, top four team in the conference right now. And they're definitely going to flex their muscle at Hinkle against a team that is far less experienced, far less talented, and far less disciplined than Creighton. Creighton wins big at Hinkle. I don't think I really need to go into much detail about the specifics as to, you know, why Creighton's going to win. I mean, more disciplined. I mean, I mentioned all the other things. I mean, they're also, you know, their, their three-point field goal percentage is one of the best in the country. They they shoot the ball so well. They're so efficient. And Butler just isn't that. So games that are postponed Sunday uh, because of COVID. Uh, again, the COVID cases are within Georgetown and Providence. So no Seton Hall at Georgetown and no Providence at Butler. Games that will be played on Sunday, though, January 2nd. St. John's at Villanova and Creighton at Xavier. So that St. John's Villanova game is going to be on national TV. Well, not really. It's national TV in the sense that, like, you know, FS1, if you get a game on there or CBS Sports Network, it's a big deal. And Villanova will, I mean, if they don't beat Seton Hall Friday, they'll bounce back on Sunday. Or if they beat Seton Hall Friday, they'll continue the momentum on Sunday beating St. John's. And St. John's coming off that loss to Brown. It's going to take some time to, you know, get their head back. I, I mean, it's not like their heads are not on at all. Like, and I'm I'm using the expression getting their heads back on straight. Because, I mean, a loss like that is tough to swallow. Especially when you schedule it not that far in advance. As like a makeup game, if you will. And you lose it. Um, I mean, I'll jokingly say this, but, you know, hey, thanks for the heads up, uh, Coach Tartamello, that you were going to have this game. Um, again, I just kid. I, I I, mean, I was used to it with, you know, like with COVID and everything a year ago where, you know, there were some games being scheduled 24 hours before. So, but the main point is St. John's, you know, can't imagine just how tough of a pill that was to swallow for them to lose. At home against Brown. I mean, Providence beat that team. Not trying to, like, make comparisons or anything, but, like, I mean, y'all get the point, right? Now, Creighton at Xavier's, the other game that's 2 o'clock over on, uh, you know, the Big East Digital Network on Flow Hoops. Or is it Flow Sports? I can't remember. But anyways... Creighton at Xavier. You know, Xavier's coming off that win against Butler. Again, Creighton's the better team. And Creighton's just going to win this game, although Xavier will put up much more of a fight against the Blue Jays than Butler will. I think that much is true. So give me the Blue Jays winning at Xavier, but again... The Musketeers, Melanie Moore, 
and her squad will definitely put up a fight in this game. You can count on that. So moving on to the men's side. This was supposed to be a pretty big day with five games on the docket. Only three of them will be played because two games were postponed. St. John's at Georgetown is postponed, as is Butler at UConn. So the three games that will take place. At noon on FS1, Creighton at Marquette. Two o'clock over on CBS in what should be a raucous Prudential Center. Number 22, Villanova at number 15, Seton Hall. And then three o'clock on Fox. And this is shocking because DePaul men's hoops never, ever plays on Fox. In fact, they've only been on Fox once since realignment. And that was for the regular season finale on March 3rd, 2018 against a top five Xavier team with Xavier having the chance in which they capitalized on it, albeit without quite a fight from DePaul to clinch the Big East regular season title outright. But DePaul, they got themselves a Fox game. That's pretty cool. That's pretty great. So before I make those picks, I mean, let's talk about what would happen if St. John's played at Georgetown and Butler played at UConn. In my mind, I really had St. John's winning at Georgetown. Georgetown was going to put up a fight, but I think St. John's is going to win a tough, a tight one. UConn hosting Butler. I think UConn would have won this game handily, although I think Butler would have put up a fight. I just think UConn would have been too much. Now, um, but to the games that will be played, Creighton at Marquette. I got Marquette winning. It's going to be a tight one. Matter of fact, I think Marquette is going to win by just one single point. If I were to make other predictions, I think I would have had St. John's by four and UConn by a dozen. So, obviously the big game is Villanova-Seton Hall. Villanova, I mean, they were supposed to play Temple on Wednesday, but Temple had some positive COVID cases, so the game wasn't played. Wildcats ranked 22nd in the country, coming off in their last game, a win over Xavier, in which they were down as many as 10. But they roared back and won by 13. Seton Hall, we still don't know entirely who will be available for this game. Tyree Samuel, if he were to come back, that would be huge, even more so for Ike Obiaga, because Ike's defensive presence is a big deal, especially against a Villanova team that is, quite frankly, undersized. But that's what how Villanova plays. They're not meant to be a big team. They're meant to be an exterior team that likes shooting the three, running the floor, and using speed and agility, not, not really much agility, but speed and quickness overall, and discipline, with not turning the ball over, getting good shots, good looks in general, to win games. 
Seton Hall has only beaten Villanova at Prudential Center twice since realignment. 2015 and 2019. Jared Roden's first Prudential Center game against Villanova, he produced a then-career-high 15 points. And he was making his threes in a game that obviously people remember for Miles Powell hitting that absolute bomb from the Prudential Center logo. And I was there for that. And, you know, when that shot went in, you know, coming off the heels, you know, just a, a handful of seconds ago, coming off Mamu blocking Jermaine Samuels at the rim and Powell making that three, I legit lost consciousness for three seconds. I swear, I swear to God, yeah, that happened. With me being in the stands and seeing that live. I mean, it was nuts. But, I mean, obviously the whole crux of that, you know, Jared Roden had a big game in that. And he played a big role in Seton Hall, upsetting Villanova. And essentially that win virtually locked them in to an NCAA tournament bid. Although they had to, you know, fortify that with some win- a win or two in the Big East tournament the following week. But still, Roden had a big day that day. And that really... You know, that confidence booster has propelled him through the rest of his college career where right now he's averaging 16.7 points and 7.6 rebounds per game right now. But to get back to the heart of the matter, you know, I really believe that Villanova getting crushed by Creighton was a bit of a humbling experience. I think it, you know, it scared Villanova straight almost. And, you know, they got punched in the mouth early against Xavier, but, you know, they got up off the mat and sucker punched Xavier right back and got the TKO to win. And that's the kind of fighting mentality that Jay Wright's teams have had. Get knocked down seven times, get up eight. And Villanova's going to stay up. Villanova will win a tight one. I got Nova winning by five at Seton Hall. Sorry to any Seton Hall fans and, you know, like fellow alumni or people that I just know who are, you know, who root for Seton Hall like I do. I'm sorry. I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm being objective. I got Villanova and I got him winning by five. Now, Providence at DePaul. You know... If DePaul had beaten Butler, I would have felt a little more confident in picking DePaul, but now knowing what I saw, and granted, I mean, you know, it's a sign of progress that, you know, DePaul only lost by four, and like, again, I know there's no such thing as moral, not many such occurrences where moral victories should be accepted, but the fact they played that poorly in a place where they hadn't won in nearly eight years. Despite Freeman Liberty struggling, despite not having David Jones, I don't know, still, there's just something that is pushing me towards Providence, and it's more so Providence being that good, not more so DePaul not, not being that good. I'm picking Providence winning at DePaul, and my prediction is... Providence by eight. I th- I feel content with that pick. It's not the sexiest, but I'm going with it. Providence by eight, and then you, all, you obviously heard my other picks. Nova by five at Seton Hall, and Marquette winning by one at home over Creighton. 
and the, on the men's side. And then obviously y'all heard my women's picks just before. And, you know, there, I feel like, you know, like coming into the new year, there's going to be a lot more great content here on the Igloo. And what exactly you should be looking out for? Well, about a week from now, meaning, you know, Thursday or Friday, depending on my mood, I guess, or my procrastination levels or however you want to call it. But towards the end of the week next week, not on the the very next edition of the Igloo, but the one after that, Creighton women's head coach Jim Flannery will join me uh, for a pretty cool interview, you know, to talk about how his team has been doing, you know, if... Uh, if things go the way I'm expecting them to go, his Blue Jays should still still should still be undefeated in Biggie's play after this weekend. So a lot of positive stuff to discuss. And you know, I've heard you know, like when I got to talk to him at Biggie's media day, you know, he's a talker. He's he's a he's he's fun to be around, fun to talk to, and you're definitely going to hear that when I you know publish that interview. Again, sometime around Thursday or Friday of next week. So, for all of you who tuned in to the Igloo throughout this calendar year of 2021, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and thank you for the continued support. Um, I hope to bring all of you listeners back and hopefully bring in some new ones in 2022 because there's a lot more great content where that came from, and hopefully that will include content live from the Big East tournaments. Yeah, both the women's and the men's tournaments. The women's tournament at Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut, and of course the men's tournament at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden, in March. Obviously, when the time comes, I'll have more details about that. Hopefully, it'll work where I can be in person for both. But if there's anything you can expect, It's more great content here on the Igloo moving forward. So, again, from the bottom of my heart, to all of you loyal Igloo listeners out there, thank you for tuning into this episode and every single episode throughout this calendar year. Uh, Please join me again in 2022. I'll have a new episode out on Monday recapping all of this past weekend's action. Well, not this past weekend because it hasn't happened yet, but you get my point. Uh, recapping all the New Year's weekend action across both men's and women's Big East hoops. So, until then, Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year. Celebrate responsibly this weekend, and I'll catch you all next time here on the Igloo.